Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today, I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo, as always, and Linda Carroll, who's been on the show quite a few times now, one of our favorite repeat guests, one of our favorite regulars. And we're going to be doing a Fan Mail Friday, of course, with her. Her advice is amazing. And here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you, and the answers will come from myself and Linda Carroll, and sometimes producer Jason. We'll do our best to get you the answers, advice, and a little bit of tough love today. Linda asked if we wanted her to be brutal and truthful or sweet. And obviously, we chose brutal. Linda's much nicer than us, though, of course. Jason, this should be a really good one. There's a lot of doozies in here. I think we saved up some of the doozies for Linda specifically so that these people would get specifically high-quality advice with very complicated situations. And uh, so I'm excited about this one. Oh, it is doozy-tastic. And yes, Brutal Linda is, uh, she's fantastic. I always love talking to her. All right, let's cut to it. Hey, guys. I was born to teenage parents and then adopted at birth. I grew up in a wonderfully stable and loving middle-class environment, and I have no complaints with the way I was raised. I turned 30 last year and decided to search out my biological parents. I decided it was time because I felt like I was ready to accept these people for who they were and figure out the rest of the story. Not just because I wanted medical history or because I was curious, even though I do want those things, but because I was ready to do it for reasons that I felt were non-selfish. After unsuccessfully trying to contact them through more standard means, I got an Ancestry DNA test. Within three weeks of getting the results, I had done the family history work to match my DNA with actual people and make contact with my biological parents. I've had a chance to talk on the phone and meet in person with both of them and additionally some of their relatives. I get along pretty good with my biological mother, but I was quite shocked to discover the current state of my biological father. He's in extraordinarily rough shape physically, mentally, and emotionally. He's agoraphobic, has Asperger's, diabetes, and weighs over 600 pounds. Whoa. He lives on welfare in a one-bedroom apartment with his two cats, and that's pretty much his whole life. His dad died when he was three, and his mom went from guy to guy after that, and many of them were abusive to him physically, mentally, emotionally, and even sexually. It's not hard to see the source of his difficulties. He's never had a driver's license and barely made it through high school. Everyone in his life has left him behind because he hasn't changed or progressed, so he has a lot of abandonment issues. I knew that it would be super easy to get sucked into his world and dragged down by all his issues. He's become very attached to me in the four one-hour visits I've had with him, and I feel like by withdrawing too far, it might break him. He sees me as a new hope in his life, and he feels like he has someone new who won't abandon him and give him the love and validation he's never gotten anywhere else. Oh, man. I worry because I fear he may be fragile enough that another rejection might be something he can't recover from. I recognize that's not a good reason to want to help. However, I feel obligated to help. If I'm the only one who can, don't I have an obligation to relieve the suffering of another human being where possible? I'm having trouble establishing a game plan on how and to what degree to include him in my life. I have three kids, and they briefly met him. I don't know that I'm ready for him to be more than that to the kids. For me, it's personally difficult because being around him makes a deep part of my brain scream out, Oh my gosh, those are your genetics in action. Is this my future in front of me? (laughs) 
Well, I logically know that I passed beyond all of that because I had a great experience growing up. I still have to fight down a little bit of personal doubt and fear whenever I'm around him. I remember that I have a really strong support network with my wife, kids, in-laws, family, and friends, and I realize that my trajectory is completely different. I need to figure out appropriate boundaries for this relationship, and I don't even know where to start. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for all you do. Adopted into a stable life, but not born in a barn. Oh, man. Oh this, this is so rough. Can you imagine being adopted and then thinking, I'm going to find my biological parents, you know, medical history, curiosity, etc. And then you find out just one of the worst, not the worst, worst, but one of the worst case scenarios. It's not like your father's Charles Manson or something like that, but it's, you know, it's it's. It's not good news. This is not good news. The genetics in action, yes, but also just, wow. I mean, this is not, this isn't quite the pedigree I was hoping for. And the other thing that I noticed, I noticed a couple of things in these letters, Linda, and, and I want to have you uh, discuss these as well. I noticed that the first thing that he said was, I was ready for to find my biological parents for reasons that I felt were non-selfish. And so that was kind of like, huh, what kind of reasons might those be? You want to help them? That's interesting. And then later he says, I feel obligated to help. If I'm the only one who can, don't I have an obligation to relieve the suffering of another human where possible? But doesn't say anything about how taxing this might be on his himself, his family, his emotions, everything. What do you think, Linda? This is a mess. Well, I think that I agreed with everything you said. I, there, a lot of things jumped out to me. But the first thing that jumped out to me is that his reasons for finding them seemed to have to do or what he was aware of is how he was ready to accept them. And I know a lot about adoption. I'm adopted. I found my birth mother in my 40s. I went through an enormous amount of preparation for years preparing to find just this. It's not what I found. Um, I was really lucky. But in fact, what I know about this is that there is in each adult person who's adopted, there is this child that has a fantasy parent both a shadow and a fantasy, and that he really found the shadow. And he doesn't talk about what this was like for him. His his whole letter is about what it's like for his father. So the, the first thing I'd say to this guy is I would really, I want to acknowledge that he seems like a really generous person, you know, and I, and I agree with one thing he said, which is that we, we are obliged, I believe, to help when we can if we see a suffering person. But the problem with what his idea of helping is, is that it's not going to work. A man who has six, weighs 600 pounds, has Asperger's, is agoraphobic, diabetes, is mentally and physically ill. Asperger's we know is a genetic problem. It's not something that's going to get better or worse, whatever this guy does. So even though we are obliged to help, the trick is we have to know what help means. And we have to know when we go over a line to try to help somebody by trying to fix them or rescue them, somebody who can't be fixed, we are going to damage ourselves. So whatever ability he has to bring solace to this guy's life is going to be reduced if he takes on the job of trying to save him or fix him. This is out of his hands. This guy is medically and psychologically sick and the the best thing he can do for the for the father and then we'll talk about what he can do for himself but the best thing he can do for his father is try to support him into getting into as many support systems and social services as he can and if his dad his father won't do that that's not 
he can't do more than that, but he can't be the social service or then his life is going to go down. Right. How do you figure? Yeah, of course, that totally makes sense. But I think it's the people who have problems with these types of boundaries are people that have those types of problems with these boundaries. Right. So that's is a terribly obfuscated way of saying if this guy, if adopted into a stable life, but not born into a barn, the letter writer, if he had been a guy with proper boundaries, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation because he would be going, well, you know, I found my my biological father, but it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And I feel a little bit bad about it, but I realize this isn't my responsibility. You know, this isn't my doing, da, da, da. But instead it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I have to bring this person in. And I th- so I think it's important to for the letter writer here to who is remaining anonymous to remember that he said, oh, I brought my three kids to see him. I'm not sure I want him to be more than just a sort of my biological father to the kids, not necessarily be part of the family. For me, having kids in this situation, I would say, oh, gosh, do I want to subject my kids and family to this? Because often where I've had trouble or where I see other people having trouble keeping boundaries for themselves, if you start to think, okay, well, what would you have for your kids? It changes the equation, right? So, yeah, it doesn't. But he doesn't say how his oldest kids are, you know, older kids. He can he can explain some of it to older kids. Younger kids might just get freaked out. Right. There's two two issues here. One is that he presents himself as somebody that is not really emotionally affected by this. And he doesn't really explore his deeper reasons for doing this. He makes it all about wanting to help, wanting to see if he can accept. He wanted to do the to find his birth parents for non-selfish reasons. Already that's trouble. You find your birth parents, you're the kid, you're finding your birth parents to find out who you come from, to find out more about yourself. And it's sort of like he makes it a slam dunk. I had great parents. I was raised by them. I know I'm loved. I'm fine. I thought I'd do this just on the side. I don't believe it goes like that. So I think that there's a whole part of him and his adopted kid self that really is going to have to do something else with this than what he's doing. And you're talking about boundaries. I think that that's right on. But even deeper than that, he wants something from his biological father. Maybe it's to fix him or save him. I don't I don't know what it is, but I think he better find out what is deeper, what's pushing him and not making it just about trying to be a good guy, um, that there that there's such a, a sadness in this story. And I, and I think he has to be really careful around his kids, around his limits, what he can do for this guy. He's not going to break him. The guy sounds already broken. 600 pounds with two cats, maybe staying alive to feed the cats. This isn't something that he can do for him. So I think this is a guy that needs to question his own motives and to find out about his own fragility in this because he doesn't address that. He just talks about his father's fragility. And keep the kids out of it because this guy doesn't sound well. And the kids are going to, if they're the younger they are or the more temperamental they are, the more they're going to freak out about this. Yeah, the kids don't seem like a piece that needs to be a part of the equation. It just seems like that's just adding further complexity. And it sounds like he said he's become very attached during the four one-hour visits. That's unreasonable. That's an unreasonable reaction Because he's all that the father has. Now he's got something beyond the two cats. He's got this son and the son is taking on this job as the hero. This is my, I'm all he has and I can fix him. 
the father isn't going to get fixed. And maybe he can get more support, but what he what he needs to do is find out places his father can get the support and send him to those places um, and deal with his own fragility, with his own vulnerability in this, because that's what's not getting addressed. And so, you know, what a sad story. God. Yeah. 600 pounds. Sad, but could get a lot worse, really, because somebody like that could drag down this letter writer so far that it causes him to be depressed and then his kids have to react and deal with that. Well, here's the other thing I want I want him to know the letter writer. One is I want to appreciate his goodness. And really, I think he does come, even though some of it is misdirected, some of it is he has a genuine good heartedness. The other thing he says, and I think this is really significant, I still have to fight down a little bit of personal doubt and fear when I'm around him, though. And let's just for one minute talk about if this is who my father is, what does that say about me? We know that genetics are a big part of Asperger's, so that he doesn't have to think about. But if this is the person I come from, you know, if he wants to explore more about his father and where his father came from, often I find when I do family histories that what we see with one parent may have, maybe we may be amazed to see what the family history reveals that may be really great. You know, what we used to call madness often has an element of genius in it. Um, the, and, and, but I think that this, the, the freak out also of this is my father. He's, he doesn't talk about that except that one line. And yet I think it's a really big line. I have to fight my personal doubt and fear because this is where I come from. I mean, that is something that he might need some help working through. I don't think he should minimize the distress he has to feel that this is his father. He's not his father. But until he can go into the fear about that and really explore it, it's going to sit there doubting him all the time. Yeah, we've given this guy a lot to think about. I think that it doesn't look like it's headed in the right direction, Linda. It looks like he's got to slow the roll a little bit think about why he's doing this. And like you said, figure out why he's doing this for himself and be very honest about that. And like you said, keep the kids out of the situation. Jason, let's hear from Skinny up next. Hey, Jordan. My girlfriend and I are both Canadian and have been dating for six years. I went to school in Missouri, so this became four years of a long-distance relationship, which had more than a few rough patches, and I just recently moved for a job about six hours from home. I dated her throughout university, and part of me just wanted to be single and experience the college life. It was very hard doing the long-distance thing with constant, attractive girls around, parties, and sexual tension. After four years, I got injured in my last year of university and couldn't play lacrosse anymore. Lacrosse was everything, and I got very depressed after the injury and hardly talked to my girlfriend. I felt I didn't deserve to be in a relationship. I was very selfish, and I ended up cheating. I told her a few months ago, which was about two years after it happened. After that, I told her I wasn't sure if I loved her anymore, and we crossed that bridge, and now I'm doing it all over again after this new move to another city sprouted new seeds of doubt and questioning. We've had some conversations in the recent past about things I've been unhappy with in the relationship and steps I think we need to take to make it work. She doesn't feel the same way that I do. She doesn't think we have any problems. I find it difficult to have meaningful conversations as her interests are fairly limited. She works hard all day as a dog groomer and doesn't always have energy to do things I want to do, which is fine. It's the fact that she seems content in her personal development, but at the same time wants to have it all. 
She isn't good with her money, and when I try and convince her to take interest in something, I come off as pushy or demanding. I just want her to succeed and be happy, not work all day, watch Netflix, and go to bed. The only time we get to spend together is during meals and if I decide to watch a show with her or hang out in the bedroom. Whenever I bring up communication exercises or anything like that, she gets upset. She isn't opposed to things like going on a hike with me and the dog, but she wouldn't do something like that without the dog. (laughs) The move has prompted me into really delving into this as I feel this is a major turning point. I'm either going to pull up my shorts and really try to make this work, which is what my girlfriend really wants, or I'm going to end the relationship. There's a lot going on here, but I need to figure out a few things and have been asking myself lots of questions. Am I simply afraid of losing a source of love and someone who cares for me? Yes. (laughs) Continue. Am I afraid of the discomfort? Am I staying with her out of obligation or to make it up for her staying with me through the dark times? Am I just looking for something new and exciting during a move? Do I make her uproot her life and move to a place she doesn't want to move if I'm unsure about our future? Do you have any helpful questions or thought exercises I can do? Thanks, Skinny. Boy. Yeah, so there's a lot here as well. And it's funny because the questions that Skinny asks at the end of this, it's kind of like, am I just afraid of losing a source of love? Yep. Am I afraid of uh, discomfort? Yep. Am I staying with her out of obligation to make it up for her for staying with me through the dark times? He answers all his own questions, doesn't he? Yeah. These are oddly specific. Am I am I staying with her out of out of obligation or to make it up to her for staying with me through the dark times? Well, okay. That's not something that you just fire off off the cuff if it's not already kind of there, right? Um, so, yeah. Am I looking for something new and exciting during a move? Maybe, but it's definitely not the primary reason and possibly... You know, you're just trying to counterbalance it. So this is extremely interesting. Well, here's here is my advice to Skinny. I think that the first question for Skinny is to ask himself, what do I put her through? We know what she puts him through. But what do I put her through? I love you. I don't. You're boring. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to pull up my shorts and I'm going to be good. I'm out of here. His inability to know what he is feeling or to trust it or to believe in it has got to make her crazy also. He says something really interesting. He says she's solid. And then he says, whenever he brings up to her that there's a problem, she gets mad. I don't think that's solid. You know what? When one person has a problem in a relationship, the relationship has a problem. But this is a guy who sounds like he's so shaky in himself. He can't stand on his own legs and say, this is what's going on for me. He knows the answers to this. You know, if he wants to lie on the bed and watch Netflix and have the dog be the priority in the relationship, then he's got it all set up. But it's not what he wants. These sound like two people who are such a bad fit for each other that I don't know where they can go next. Yeah, she sounds like she has the life she wants. Netflix, the dog, the bed, the dog grooming, the bed. But it's not the life he wants. What's the problem here? with him being able to own the life he uh, he wants. So this guy is not going to get this fixed by leaving this relationship. He needs some he needs to take a long look at who he is and what he's doing with his life because he's throwing himself all over the map with her. He's throwing her all over the map and I feel sorry for her and his ability to reason really seems kind of questionable to me. You know, he's not He's able, he says, well, she's solid, but at the, at the same time, this is what her life is. I don't think his powers of discrimination are the best. What do you guys think? It sounds very, I, I don't know how old Skinny is, but it sounds like something I would have done maybe when I was younger. 
Would you have done this? I, I don't know if I would have gone this far, but it's like, well, I feel a little guilty because she stayed with me at some point, so I need to stay with her. And then it's, well, I've never gone through anything like this, so maybe I'm just afraid of commitment because that's what my girlfriend says, or I've heard that on Loveline, or I heard that on The Art of Charm in some other context, right? And then you, you might think, well, you know, relationships aren't perfect. Maybe it's supposed to be like this. But then in the moment, you're thinking, oh, is there anything better because this person doesn't have the same interests as me. And I think, especially men, we go through this a lot where we're thinking, is this how it's supposed to be? Because we're thinking, okay, well, if I get married, this is the this is it. So I have to have this combination of things that I like. Am I being unrealistic with what I deserve? Am I being unrealistic with what I need or want and what I can have or the combination is realistic? Yeah, I agree with you. But here's a question number eight. Do I deeply care or do I love her? In my experience, you know what? That's never a question we have to ask. That's a good point. I really love this person. They make me crazy. I really care deeply, but I don't know that they're right for me. That that I understand. But to ask the question, do I deeply care or do I love her? How can we answer that question, Skinny? I think it's time for Skinny to learn to stand on his two skinny legs and figure out that he knows these answers. He needs to pay attention to what he knows. Because he's telling us all the answers as he goes through this. Every single paragraph, and many times in each paragraph, he says right away what the answer is. He says it. He says it each time. Part of me wants to be single. I don't think I love her. I told her I didn't love her. I'm not attracted to her. So so really, there's not a question. It, everything is here in his in his he just needs to read it out loud to himself and wonder why he can't hear himself and i feel sorry for the dog groomer what a life she has with him i mean what's her problem with the guy who doesn't want to be with her all the time back and forth back and forth so i think that you know i th- i'd like to hear from the dog groomer and see what her story is in this because she has to be driven crazy by skinny not to mention what he's doing to himself so the thoughtful exercises, the thought exercises he can do is called self-examination. Take a good long hit at himself, at his history. What kind of attachment issues does he have going way, way back? Because that's what's coming out here. It's not about the dog groomer. It's about his own issues around attachment, around self-knowledge, about being able to trust what he feels and not punish her back and forth, back and forth, because he really doesn't want to be with her, but he thinks he should. That is a recipe for a very, very sad and torturous relationship. So it seems to me like Skinny definitely knows the answers to his own questions, and he's looking to us for validation because he may not have the guts to just face up to his own truth. Yeah, you may be right. He's just kind of thinking, well, here's what I know, and I'm going to frame these as questions so that you guys can say, so that we can give him permission to break up with her without it meaning something negative about who he is. Yeah. Yeah, but it's going to come out everywhere in his life, this problem. Yeah, Yeah. oh yeah. I'm curious about his work, his friendship, his family, about what he does, what else he does with his time. Because this kind of issue is not just related to the girlfriend. It's really related to how he lives his life. That's a great um, point. So leaving the girlfriend isn't going to fix this. It's going to come out in the next relationship unless he can figure out what the core of it is. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. 
Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. All right, Jason, let's hear from Troubled in Toronto. Hi, Jordan. I married a Canadian while living in New York City, and we moved to Toronto. We have children, but have since separated. I reunited with a college boyfriend from Minneapolis that I always regretted not pursuing, and things are going really well, and he's willing to move to Toronto to be with me. He found a job and got a work permit, but the company he obtained the permit from has since reneged on that offer. He's a candidate for another job at the same employer, so he could use the same work permit. They've interviewed him and are considering the position. Meanwhile, we're on pins and needles. If it works, we're ecstatic. If it doesn't, we're back at square one. I can't see past the possible disappointment to make a plan B, and I think it's a plan B 
that will help me cope and ultimately keep us on track without extra duress. Can I ask how you would process and frame this possibility to move forward? If this job is not successful, he'll return to Minneapolis and await a much longer timeline to obtain an open work permit, then have to start the job hunt anew. How do we find a productive and positive way to look at this possibility? Signed, Troubled in Toronto. Yikes. Well, that certainly would be disappointing, but it almost signals to me that this relationship is fueled by a sense of novelty and emotion, but I can't really put my finger on why I think that's the case. Linda? Well, I don't know about that. I think that the the thing that I would say to her, this seems to me a pretty quick one, because it seems like there's just really an answer, is that there is no plan B. The plan B has to be, if I want to be with you, I've got to trust that that's going to find, we'll find another door. You know, when you can't see an answer, you can't see the answer. That's the answer. The answer is, there isn't an answer right now. I just have to hold true to what I know and believe. If we're meant to be together, then that something else will come down the pipe. And she's trying to create an answer when she doesn't even, when she doesn't know what the terrain is. Um, I think she's disappointed. I, I think it's, I, I, I'm sorry that it isn't working and that this job may not work, but there's nothing else that she can do at the moment except except what it is. And trying to create another plan when you don't even know what what the elements are of the plan is going to make her feel worse. So I think that um, that the possibility is let's we have to keep it going the way it's working now and be open to what the next uh, the, uh, the next possibility is. I don't have more to say about this one. Yeah, uh, it makes sense to me. I think it's just good old-fashioned relationship advice on this one, and this was a cut and cut and dry. I think. What about no love in sight, Jason? This one is a little more meaty. Hey, Jordan, I found myself in the situation where I've started to fall out of love with my wife of almost four years. In fact, I'm not sure if I ever truly did love her. We've been together for ten years, following migrating to a foreign country at the age of twenty-one. We have a one and a half year old girl who means everything to me. I've always been the one in our relationship that's had any ambition to take us anywhere in life. The one who always has to fix things, make friends, etc., etc. It's something that's always bothered me, and combined with her complete refusal to go back to work, despite us needing it financially, our relationship is slowly decaying. I just find it so uninspirational. Recently, a girl started at my work who I have completely fallen for. She embodies everything I want in a partner. And after listening to your podcasts, I may have consciously or subconsciously used the content to win her over. About a month ago, we ran into each other in a bar, and I drunkenly told her most of this. She told me she liked me too, and we kissed several times, but that was it. Wait, hold on. I I like how he blames me for this. (laughs) Like, I may have consciously or subconsciously used things you've taught me. Okay, first of all, totally conscious, buddy. (laughs) Second of all... You're, uh, don't point the finger. Don't point your dirty finger at me on this one, buddy. All right. So he met out with this girl that he works with at a bar despite being married. Continue. Since then, she's completely withdrawn from me, wants to forget what happened and treats me like I barely exist. She has a boyfriend that's 15 years older than her that lives out of town. She said she was breaking up with him on that drunken night and has told several other people the same thing, but she hasn't. I've gone to a psychologist to talk about all this and my feelings on my relationship, and it feels like the therapist thinks I shouldn't have to deal with being the only adult in my relationship. So, I'd love to know your thoughts on this and any insights or wisdom you might have to offer. I hate going home to someone I'm not in love with and also seeing someone I feel strongly about ignore me each day. Signed, No Love in Sight. Oh my gosh. No Love in Sight is about 14. 
Yeah, maybe thirteen. There is some just drama in here, and and look, I feel for everyone who writes in. I don't want to be insulting. You know, I I do understand that emotions are complex, and they often do turn us into children, even when we're full grown adults. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Linda, you can tell me whether or not you agree. The girl at work, the woman at work who he kissed, this is a distraction. He's, he says, I like her a lot. I think you just like not your wife because she's not your wife and she makes you feel a certain way that reminds you of how you maybe used to feel about your wife. But I don't think this girl at work is probably anything that he should be focused on. I think it's a distraction and I think it's easier than thinking about his relationship with his wife. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I think that there, I, but I have a lot more to say about that, about this. First of all, he is such a victim and, and, you know, he's a victim to his wife. She won't go back to work. He has to do it all. And he, and even when he describes his daughter, he says, I, I, I'm crazy about the my daughter. If he had said, I'd have a very different feeling about him. He'd said, I, my daughter's one and a half and I really don't want to disrupt her life or I don't, I want to sort this out so she doesn't have to go through it. That's one thing, but it really is about all what he feels. This is about what I feel. It's about what I want. Then this is the part that stood out to me as a therapist, because I have patients that do this. They come in, they say, my mother's a borderline, my boyfriend's a narcissist. And what I do, because I'm a relationship therapist, is I'm suspicious always. And I say, what's the evidence? What would they say if they were here? He says, my psychologist says I shouldn't have to be the only adult in my relationship. What's her point of view? He doesn't mention her as though she's a human being. He mentions her as though she's some kind of a of of a blow up doll and that he and so his his response to unhappiness in the relationship is to find a woman and to get turned on by that. You know, I think it's time for him to really take some a brutal look at himself and how he's creating this victim life for himself by not standing up to who he is. And I guess I said that earlier. Maybe that's just kind of a theme that I have. It is true that we know that in in, the, in study after study, we know that attraction dims in relationship. It's one of the most common problems that people complain of. And the answer, to, that's a whole different issue. But you have to know why that is. If you married somebody who had, who you thought you should, but you were never attracted to them, that's one path. If you just physically changed and so have they, that's another path. Or if you have a lot of unfinished trouble between you, that's another path. But he doesn't describe what that is. That's a common theme with people. Attraction dims. He's gained weight. You know, she doesn't look the same. She's not working out. She, I don't like her clothes. But that's not, he doesn't explore that at all. He just wants to feel good. I think this guy is into feel good. And he's not going to feel good by finding someone else to fix him. So I think the woman who dumped him is smart. Yeah, she probably also thought, wow, look at all this drama, or I don't want to be the person who breaks up a marriage, which is something that he should respect in this case, because she's right. She doesn't need to be involved in a bunch of drama. It doesn't even mean she doesn't like you. It just means that she realizes there's so much more to this story and that this is maybe going to weigh on her, on her conscience or make things harder. It's just not worth it for her. And that but should be a signal. she also has a boyfriend. She also oh, has that's a boyfriend right. I that she's cheating that. on with him. Right. So she feels bad about it, rightfully so. And maybe she changed her mind. You never know. Maybe she changed her mind or maybe she's got as many problems as he does because we know that we are attracted to people who have the same sort of emotional kind of maturity. 
So I, and I think also he needs to go back to the psychologist and say to the psychologist is, how am I not an adult in the relationship either? Because he's managed to put this all on his wife as though she's the only problem in here. And when you have trouble in your marriage, you don't run off to a bar and find a girlfriend to kiss you so you can feel better. You figure out what you need to do about the issue in the marriage before you go off and look for a girlfriend to kiss you, or you have a bigger mess than you ever thought possible. So he says no love in sight. Maybe it's time for him to figure out what it means to start caring about himself with some dignity and self-respect. So that's my response. I love this. Jason, I, I like brutal Linda. What do you think so far? Absolutely. Well, we haven't got, wait till we get to the last one. All right. Oh, yeah. But, she, um, yeah, we sent the questions to her in advance, so she's just got, she's sharpening cracking her knuckles. <laughs> yeah, cracking knuckles back here, right, waiting for it to happen. In the meantime, Jason, let's hear from Auntie Anxiety. Hi, AOC. Love the show. My niece and I have had a close relationship since she was a toddler. At that time, I lived with her and her mom, who's also my sister. Her mom has borderline personality disorder and is really difficult to deal with. Back then, as a mother, she was indifferent, preferring to spend her nights partying and her days sleeping. I cooked, changed diapers, read, played all of that to fill in as the caretaker. Her mom suggested that I adopt my niece on a number of occasions. We even started the process nearly a decade ago when I moved to the other side of the country. At the last minute, my sister changed her mind. Throughout the years, my niece wrote letters and called me when she needed to talk or was excited to share something. Until a couple years ago, when her mom didn't know how to handle a situation regarding my niece, she would ask me for help. My sister and I had a huge blowout over her parenting, mainly letting her current husband treat his stepchildren badly. She's always put the man in her life first. The only reason I've maintained a relationship with her was for my niece. Following the blowout, my niece only saw what was in front of her, her mom angry and upset at her aunt. I haven't spoken to my sister since. With my niece, the calls became less frequent. The letters stopped almost entirely, although texting and messaging continue but are brief and shallow in content. I can't express how deeply painful this has been. This upcoming summer, my niece graduates high school. I'm so proud of her hard work and want to be there to celebrate her accomplishments. She says she's excited to see me again. Happily for her, other family members will be there for her graduation. Unhappily for me, my father will also be there. This man was physically abusive to me, not my sister, and denies paternity. The stepdad's family, who my niece has become close with, will also travel to be there. My niece and I haven't seen one another in almost four years, but sees the aforementioned family members regularly as they live only a state away. I'm excited to finally spend time with my niece again. My fear is that I fly to the other side of the country and only get an hour together or have to compete with the others who have also traveled to spend time with her. I will not spend time with my father. I can be amicable with my sister. However, my sister is very aggressive and likes to fight. I fear she will turn the whole visit into something about her, which wouldn't be the first time. I've considered asking my niece if she knows which days the others plan to visit so I can minimize the amount of time we are all there. I feel like that would put strain on her already stressed life, like planning for college, schoolwork, babysitting, her siblings, volunteering, and time with friends. But at the same time, she'll likely feel stressed with so many people expecting her to give them time together. I don't think it's fair for her to have to deal with that situation. So, do you have any advice for this potential mess? Thank you for taking the time to read this, for any advice you can provide, and for your contribution to society. Signed, Auntie Anxiety. So th this one, for I'm a sucker for this one. This one makes me feel really, really sympathetic to the letter writer, and maybe I'm missing something, but this sounds so painful, and it sounds so sad, because it 
it, it almost sounds like the niece is disappointed that this didn't work out differently and that she's been likely damaged by this the crap parenting that she's had since the aunt has been out of her life and even before then. So, Linda, I would love your take on this, because when I read this, I just thought, oh, man, I just feel this is just a, t- a hard one. Not my take. Not your take. No. First of all, we're hearing her story. She's diagnosed all kinds of people in here. Yeah. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't doubt her experience, but there's a bigger story here. Second of all, her this is about her niece. It's not about her. If she wants a connection with her, it's about her niece's graduation, which is all her day. She's in the center of that circle. If she wants to have connection with her niece, send her a ticket to come visit her as a graduation present. And if the niece wants to see her and accept it, then they can have their time. Third of all, and I think that this is uh, this is really important whenever we're dealing with people in another generation, is that her niece is at a different stage in life. She's got to process all of this through her own eyes. This is her mom. It might not be her own experience with her mom. It might be what the her aunt has seen. Right now, she's involved in her family story, whatever it is. So she's not going to see through the same lens that the aunt is seeing. And I, I feel like this is the aunt's story. I don't doubt the story, but there's more to it. I would suggest that because she has so many feelings about this and the complications of it, that she even consider either going and being a member of the audience and lying low and giving the niece a chance to visit her or sending her a really wonderful present and a letter about what you've meant to me and I'm so proud of you. And how about if we meet somewhere, if we go to Florida to and spend some time together, you know, I made up Florida, um, <laughs> Cleveland, wherever you want. Let's have some time. You can only go to Florida, Auntie Anxiety. Only Florida. Sorry, okay. The, that sounds option. good to me in the Oregon winter. <laughs> and let's do this. But it's she's made it so much about, I, I feel like she's made it a lot about her. And I think that for her to fly to the other side of the country to try to get time with the niece is a setup. The only yeah. reason for her to go is to sit in that big audience of a lot of people and watch her niece get her degree. If she has any other expectations, it's a setup for her and her niece. That's what I think. That's interesting. That is good advice. I love the idea of putting herself aside for a bit. I understand not wanting to see your father. I understand the family issues, but you're right. She does have to put that stuff aside and be there for her niece or not go at all, like you suggested, and and find other ways to make time for her. So I do understand There's a lot that. of drama here, you know, yeah. and she's already anticipating the drama. She's already a part of the drama. She's got all this energy about her, her sister, about the sister's husband, the husband's family. So to go into that without her feeling a certain sense of okayness about just walking in, being there for the niece and leaving, she's already set up for a lot to happen. So I think that if she's looking after her niece, that she either goes as a total bystander expecting nothing or she figures out how to see her niece and even waiting tw- and and knowing maybe it'll take her niece 15 or 20 years to have the conversation she'd like to have. If this is your first time listening, Fan Mail Friday is a great sample of how we operate here, but by no means a full helping of all we have to offer. Listener interactions, one of our favorite parts of the show. Without you, there'd be no point to do in the show in the first place, but our typical content is much more in-depth. We talk with well-known top performers in their field. We work to unpack their methods, their theories, their hard-earned insights, 
These are people you either know already or you should know, and we use that longer format to help you understand what processes or steps they used, how they became successful, things they do every day. It's beyond just the what's your favorite book type of questions, and we distill those concepts to help you apply them to your life. For a great place to start, because it might be a little overwhelming with almost a 1,000 hours of content, check out some of our most popular episodes at theartofcharm.com where you can find the best of, as well as our fundamentals toolbox, which includes what we like to call the basics of mixed mental arts. That includes topics like reading body language, nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm and in our live residential programs in LA. We'll send all that to your inbox. Just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. And to learn more about our in-person training, go to theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. For a list of all of our amazing sponsors and discounts, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to Fan Mail Friday. Okay, last, let's go. All right, last but not least, Linda's been cracking her knuckles over this one for a while, Jason. Let's hear from Beauty and the Emotionally Draining Beast. Hey, guys, I'm writing today because I would really love your insight on a problem I've been having with my boyfriend of a year and a half. Our relationship moved pretty quickly, and a few months in, I had quit my job and left my home to move with him to a different city. Fast forward a few months, and an old friend fresh out of jail messages him on social media. (laughs) Normally, not a big deal. Okay, but she continued to confess her love for him and tell him about all the pictures she drew of him while locked up, all while knowing we are together. So naturally, being a mid-20s lady, I asked him to not speak to her. Harsh maybe, but it was a new relationship and I wanted to protect it. Days pass and come to find out he messaged her behind my back and deleted the evidence. I confronted him and we got past it. End of story? Not quite. There happened to be another old friend of his who is in a small art community in our town, along with myself. Some more time passes, and she books me for an event. I'm a makeup artist, and she's a model. He seemed to be slightly nervous about me working with her, and after some argument, it comes out that he dated her a few years prior and had met her for coffee just a few months before and knowingly hit it. Oh, man. All right. Look, we haven't even started yet. Keep going. (laughs) It's really going to get juicy. All of this just hours before our literal face-to-face. We somehow got through that one as well. And although I was hurt and my trust had been diminished, I saw a great future with this man if we could just get past this. Fast forward to now. Things are great, mostly, but the last few weeks have been a bit rough. I always follow my gut feeling, and it was telling me to look at his phone. (laughs) Oh, man. Crappy, I know, but I did. And what I found was the first girl's phone number conveniently under a man's name. Gotta love Snapchat for showing me that little gem. So, oh, man. <laughs> so after another argument, he chalks it up to, he feels like I'm half out the door, and if I leave, he'll be left alone with no friends. I honestly don't know what to think, or do for that matter. I feel like I am half out the door, but only because of these things specifically. It's a vicious cycle. I need help, even if it's just a different perspective. Thanks for your time. Beauty and the Emotionally Draining Beast. Where to oh begin? Gosh. Old, it, I, even in the beginning where it's like, no big deal, this old friend fresh out of jail message. No, if, look, I don't, I know people make mistakes, they go to prison, da, 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 it's, it's, you know, not the end of someone's life, but that would, that would disturb me quite a bit if one of my wife's old friends just got out of jail and was like, yo, what's going on? I'd be like, ah, this isn't maybe somebody you want to associate with given 
all the things that we're doing and the ways we're moving forward. And then, yeah, the other person hidden on the phone under a guy's name. I mean, there is so much guilt here. And the fact that he went out with another woman on a date. Yes, it might have only been a coffee date, but he went out with her uh, during your relationship. That's these these things are extremely problematic. What do you think, Linda? I think three things. I think, number one, this guy's a professional. He is so smart and he is so skilled that he put the name of, I think this is the third woman that he dated under a man's name. This is not a simple person who made a simple mistake. This is someone who's thought, how do I lie about this so she can't find out? That's number one. Number two is when she says, um, he feels like I'm half out the door and he'll be left alone with no friends and his childhood abandonment issues. She doesn't know what to think. I can tell her what that means. That means that this guy has character issues and multiple problems. And so does she for being in it. Because the third thing that she says that really it, I pay a lot of paid a lot of attention to is how many times she said, we got past that. We got past that. We got past that. You don't get past someone who chronically lies. He's more than a little crooked. This guy is not trustworthy. And and one lie, you know, when, when, when I work with couples where there's infidelity, the rule of thumb that I take is this. How, partner B, who has been cheated on, says, how do I trust my partner again, partner A? I say, you can't trust them until they really understand what got them to cheat in the first place, until they take total accountability for it and say, I'm going to dig into my own psyche and find out why I did it. Then you can start trusting them if they can be accountable and they can clean it up. You don't get past cheating. You don't get past it. It becomes a part of the relationship and you can certainly have a deep and rich relationship when someone's cheated. In fact, some of the best marriages I know come from infidelity, but only when one, when both people have gone into their psychological closets and cleaned them to the depth and built something completely new. You don't get past it. She's wanting to move past it. This guy has character troubles and she sounds like I don't like labels either, but she sounds like she is like the classic, the classic codependent person who is, she's not going to affect his childhood issues. His childhood issues are really pointing in a direction that says, I need to clean this up for me. And if he wants her to be safe, I don't hear that anywhere, then he needs to take it on. And she needs to take on how she thinks you get past something if you don't do the work involved with what it is. This guy's a clever liar. And I'm not saying he's a bad person, but he's got that problem. And it's not going to go away because they have gotten past it or because he says he loves her. There's much more in this that he better start exploring. And her too. Like, why is she with him? So yeah. that's that's brutal Linda this morning. I love it. I, I think, I bet if we had more time to ask Beauty in the Emotionally Draining Beast questions, we'd find out that maybe she's paying the rent or that she, I mean, she quit her job and left home to move with him to a different place, but yeah. you never know. I mean, she's offering something here that he likes, that he needs, that he wants. All of this has happened in the in the span of a year and a half. This is 18 months worth of drama. Right. And But what about the part, what about the part that really got to me most of all is that he changed the name into a man. This is somebody who thinks about how to cheat. It didn't just happen at a conference that he suddenly is in a mess. It's like conscious, consciously thinking, huh, if I put this in my phone as a, as a man's name, she won't find it. And what about her 
saying, oh, I've got a special feeling in my heart. I've got to check his phone. I mean, what's that? You know, I think that there's there are issues here. You want to talk about boundary issues. I think that that the issues in this relationship are pretty serious. And I think, again, I'm not she's I think she needs to get herself to some kind of a person who can help her explore what she's doing in a relationship with someone that's going to keep hurting her over and over again um, and what it means to get past something. So that's my take today, guys. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us this week. This has been great. It's great, isn't it? Well, okay, you're welcome. I'd love to um, know what the reaction is. I guess we'll hear about what the reaction is, won't we? Oh, always. Uh, we, sh- we usually <laughs> do, yes. <laughs> okay, I, and especially do. from these people, I hope none of them you know, become more traumatized from what we said today. Oh, I don't think so. I think these people are, are ready for, most of the people that write in, I think, are ready for some cold dose of truth. They're not writing in. They, they know us better than to think, I'm going to write in and Jordan's going to tell me exactly what I want to hear. That literally never happens. Yeah. Oh, so. no, that would be, but it's true. I think people, a lot of people might have gotten good advice. So thank you, guys. This is great. This is one of my favorite things is talking to you guys. Well, thank you. you. You always make it so fun and great advice. I mean, there's a reason we bring you on. Um, and some of the, even the things where you say, well, I have a different take than that. I love that because that's how I learn how to do this better as well. And of course, um, you know, you have a lot of experience and you, this is what you do all day, every day, I would imagine. It is what so. I do. And I, and I love it. I just came back from the East Coast. I have couples all over the East Coast. It's really fun. And I think that yeah, you know, it all starts from doing our own work. We can't do anything about what's out there until we do something about what's in here. So I love this. If this is good, let's do it again. Okay, guys? You got it. Thanks, Linda. Have a great day, and we'll talk soon, okay? Bye. Linda's always so great. This was awesome. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as we did. Documentary of the Week. I watched this documentary, Jason, it's called One of Us. It's It was so good. It was about ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jewish people, Gare is, I think, one of the sects that this is, and their their culture, and it's just fascinating, and the control the rabbis have over the people in this almost totalitarian way in Brooklyn, in this subculture of ultra-Orthodox Judaism, is so involved, the control is so thorough, there's this whole world of compliance and, uh, frankly, what looks to be quite a bit of misogyny, surveillance among the members, bordering on just insanity. And did you get a chance to watch this at all yet? No, this one's in my queue, but I cannot wait. Yeah, it's it's kind of insane because this woman, she is essentially escapes from this and she has no idea how to live in regular society, even though she grew up in Brooklyn, which is, you know, it's freaking New York, right? Like you you see other people, you know, they exist. You see all this culture around, but they don't watch television. They don't use mobile phones and Internet and things like that. They don't they just don't. They don't have internet. I mean, it's not that they don't use phones. They're not Amish, but they don't use the internet. They don't look at non-Hasidic websites. They speak Yiddish. There's this whole crazy subculture, and it's very controlling. You know, they they basically use loopholes in the legal system to keep people from leaving by taking control of their kids. I mean, it's just it's bananas. Very interesting to see this and to hear her side of the story as well. So. I want to thank also everyone that wrote in this week. Very brave of you. A lot of really deep stuff in this particular episode of Fan Mail Friday. And don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous, and you can either make up your own funny name. We can do it. If you got feedback for the show, 
We're big fans of strong opinions loosely held. We love to argue like we're right and listen like we are wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF144. Quick shout outs today to Hannah Hines listening to us while she does what young chic people in the advertising business do, uh, writing copy and stuff like that. And Owen Benjamin, he's a comedian. He is an AOC show fan. Got to have you on the show soon, brother. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit me up. We'll shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. I'm also on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. And Instagram, man, it's a great way to engage with people because they can just sort of comment on something. It doesn't have to be relevant or germane to the photo that I post. I like checking it. It's fun to interact. It's fun to see people on there. And also, it's just, it's really, people are finding me on there like crazy. I started in mid-October, and like 7,000 show fans have already followed me and sent me messages and things like that. It's really kind of cool. I like it. I hope I don't get overwhelmed by it. And Jason, you're on social media. I'm on the Twitter at the JP Def, and I'm on Instagram at JPD. Not nearly as many followers as you have, but uh, maybe someday. Yeah. And as, <laughs> and as always, you can check out my tech news podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Go to GOG.show to find out mo. All right. And don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. We take you step-by-step, becoming better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your personal social capital, your charisma. It's for both guys and gals. It's free. It's just designed to get the ball rolling on getting you to apply the things you hear on the show. That's all at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps. Those we run every single week in L.A. with AJ and Johnny. If you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's all at theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.